This is episode 232, where the tables are turned, and I'm interviewed by Jackson Burton from the Vegan Body Coach Podcast about how to train for and run your first marathon. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is a little different. I'm reposting a conversation I had with Jackson Burton, a personal trainer and nutritionist from New Zealand who hosts the Vegan Body Coach Podcast. He asked me to talk about the ins and outs of running your first marathon, from how to know when you're ready, training must-dos, common pitfalls to avoid, and suggestions for executing on race day. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, you can expect even more training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space. My goal is to elevate your thinking about the sport, help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on how to structure your weekly mileage, my favorite form drills, core and strength routines, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog with topics as varied as the top mistakes runners make in the weight room, why you've hit a performance plateau, the best way to structure your long runs, and more. You'll also find our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and more. Plus, the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, one of the most reputable blood testing companies in the world. They test dozens of biomarkers, so you know if there are any red flags with your physiology that might be hampering your running. Then they give you science-backed recommendations to improve anything that might be outside of your personal optimal ranges. Get 25% off any of their blood tests with code STRENGTHRUNNING at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. The code is strengthrunning, no space, and you can see all the details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1, a category-leading greens mix that has 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. It's also one of the few greens mixes that my stomach can tolerate. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase or a monthly drop. I try to have one serving every day of AG1 to help me cover my bases and for a nice boost of midday energy. See all the details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. And I also want to extend a thank you to our podcast review of the week from Death Before DNF. 
What a perfect username. He wrote on Apple Music, my favorite running podcast, hands down. Always super helpful with advice for my ultra running adventures. A breath of fresh air, having Jason be an advocate for lifting weights as a CrossFit ultra running type of guy. Always a joy to listen to. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Pat. Well, thank you, Pat, for listening, and best of luck with your ultramarathon adventures. If you want a shout-out on the podcast, leave a review in Apple Music. The funnier, the better. <laughs> All right, let's move on to today's conversation about preparing for your first marathon. Even if you're not a first-timer, I'm sure you'll pick up on some valuable advice to better optimize your next marathon. Now, a reminder that Jackson Burton from the Vegan Body Coach podcast is the interviewer here. The full episode can be found on his show. Please enjoy. Today, I was super stoked to interview Jason Fitzgerald. He's a very well-renowned and well-respected running coach and the founder of strengthrunning.com, which is one of the biggest running sites on the internet. Along with this, he is the host of the Strength Running Podcast, one of the most popular running podcasts uh, on the platform at this stage, and has a whole host of amazing blogs and videos and all that good stuff online for you to learn from. So I was super excited to interview Jason today all about getting your first marathon, starting that journey from someone who has potentially never run before or just dabbled in a little bit of um recreational running to actually deciding to take on the big 42.2 so jason has a lot of experience in this area he started running in college doing cross-country track and field events and eventually moved on to doing some of the more long distance things such as his first marathon in 2008 which was the new york city marathon which he ran in two hours 44 but subsequently developed a severe ITB injury, which sidelined him from running for around six months. But of course, like most great coaches do, when something doesn't go quite to plan, they go and research, they go and learn, and they become much better coaches because of it. And since then, Jason has run more than ever and PR'd a marathon at the Philadelphia Marathon at a two-hour 39 pace. So I wanted to bring Jason on today to specifically discuss how to tackle your first marathon. We cover Jason's own experiences with marathon running. We cover the main misconceptions around endurance running such as pace, form, injury prevention, strength training, and we jump into some information on how to actually structure your own week of training to ensure you're getting the most out of your training but also knowing you're not doing too much. And finally, we wrap it up with a quick discussion around the actual race day, what to expect and how to overcome the inevitable hitting the wall. So guys, you're in for a good one. It's a nice, good, long conversation and super interesting, full of heaps of good takeaways. Um, you're going to absolutely love it. So let's just get straight into it. This is Jason Fitzgerald. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you coming on and, and uh, spending your time with us. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. And and just for the listeners, where about you uh where about you coming from today? So I am in Denver, Colorado, the mile high city uh, here in in Colorado. The uh I don't know how familiar your listeners are with United States states, but we're right along the Rocky Mountain Range and it's a beautiful place to 
train and run and just incredible place for runners. It's one of the more popular places for the distance running scene here in the United States. Yeah, I've 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 heard that a lot of runners tend to congregate around the Denver, Boulder, Colorado area and um it's it's sort of become a bit of a bucket list for me now to go and spend some time over there because I just I hear it's beautiful here. There's so many good trails and um, it seems like a really really great place just to live as well. I, I hear that um, especially like I think I saw some statistics on Boulder that it was you know one of the um, I don't know happiest places to live or maybe like you know most um, health conscious places to live. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true. And and while I'm a little bit south of Boulder in the city of Denver, they're very much similar. And I noticed that right when I know when I came here and started living here about seven years ago, and you know, some friends would come out, they would visit me. And we would all comment, wow, Denver really seems to be a a fit and healthy uh, type of city where everyone's out there riding their bike or going running or doing some sort of outdoor sport. And so it's nice to live in a place where people value being outside and exercise and being healthy. It just, uh, it's a very, uh, exciting place to live. There's a lot of vitality here. Yeah, no, I do love that. It sounds like a great place to be hanging out. So were you, uh, originally from there or is this something you moved to? No, I moved to Denver back in 2014. Um, I originally from the East Coast of the okay. US. So I lived up in Massachusetts outside of Boston. That's where I grew up. I went to school in Connecticut. And then I went down near Washington, DC and spent about six years there before coming to Denver. So it's been okay. quite the journey. Cool. And uh, the reason I asked is, is was running already a, a big place in your life before you got to Denver? Oh, yeah. Running has been a huge part of my life since I was in high school. I started running cross country as a freshman in high school. I showed up in basketball shorts and basketball shoes thinking that I was going to high jump because cross country is like track, right? Well, (laughs) I found out very quickly that in cross country, all you do is run. But thankfully, I just had such a great time with the guys on the team and the coach was really great that I just fell in love with the sport. And once I started to improve, I was hooked for life. And so I ran three seasons all throughout high school and then in college. And, you know, I had been running for about 15 or 16 years before moving to Denver. Wow. Yeah, cool. So you you really got into running quite an early age. Did you feel like you, you were, I guess inherently gifted for running or was it something you have to you've had to work really hard to get to a point where you're you know at a decent level um in terms of your performance or is it you know something that kind of came quite naturally to you yeah that's a good question i would say a little bit of both i I remember when i first started we went on a 2.9 mile run which is you know for your listeners going to be way less than 5k yeah and I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. I had to take multiple walk breaks. I felt like I had been run over by a truck for the entire (laughs) next week. And at that point, I knew that I didn't have a lot of talent. And I always felt like I had enough talent to be on the varsity team, whether I was in high school or college, but not enough talent to be one of the top runners. And so I did have to work really, really hard for everything that I ever achieved in my running career. I think that's true for every runner though. Right. And for me, that was, you know, enough to get me to compete in college, to be on a varsity team, to run sometimes that a lot of people would, would think are competitive, but 
I always surrounded myself with very talented runners. So I never felt talented, but <laughs> I think a little bit of both. I, I certainly have some talent, uh, but it's something I had to work really, really hard to build over time. Yeah. Is, is, is the long distance running the majority of the stuff you've done? Is it sort of marathon and upwards or is it you'll be doing, uh, is your, I guess your specialty or something that you love to do is more some of the shorter distance five and 10 Ks? I think that I have a background in the shorter stuff. You know, when I was obviously in high school and college, they don't have any of the longer stuff. So I really focused on the 1500 in the mile, the 3K, the 5K. Mm. I loved 8,000 meter cross country races. Oh, cool. Uh, but that was the longest I ever raced when I was in college. And then when I graduated, I spent about 10 years uh, trying to run half marathons, marathons, and, and some of those longer distances, uh, but still never really getting too far away from racing 5Ks, racing 8Ks, and, and some of those events. So I really think my background is really as a track and cross-country athlete, and then I moved into some of the longer things in my mid to late 20s. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, for the listeners, um, Jason has a really great podcast called Strength Running and a blog and, and website of the same name. And today I wanted to, you know, talk specifically with you, Jason, around somebody running their first marathon. Um, we've got a group of people here in New Zealand that are working towards the Queenstown Marathon in November. Um, and for all of us, it's it's a never been done before event. Um, we're, we're all sort of, we love, we're fitness enthusiasts, we're health enthusiasts, but doing something for um, a long period of time like a marathon is something new to majority of us. So um, I wanted to, to get you on and discuss you know, from that perspective a little bit as to how you would approach uh, a first marathon and maybe just some tips and tricks that you can give to listeners who might be on their own running journey or potentially starting running for the first time. So I'd love to hear, Jason, what was your experience like running your first marathon? Oh, man. My first marathon was kind of a disaster, but <laughs> something that I look I think back on fondly as a great learning experience. So my first marathon was the 2008 New York City Marathon. I was two years out of college. I was about, I think I had just celebrated my uh, 25th birthday. So it was in a way, it was sort of my, my birthday present to myself. Yeah, cool. And I went into the, the New York City Marathon as your typical 25-year-old cocky you know, runner who was had just come from a college background, had never run something as long as the marathon. And I thought that, you know, I'd be coming through Central Park at the end of the race, running negative splits, just <laughs> cruising and just having a great time. And that didn't happen at all. Uh, I had a very cliche race. I hit the wall at mile 20. I ran out of fuel. My pace just got slower and slower and slower. I ended up uh, I remember very specifically around mile 25 being passed by a senior citizen and he made me feel like I was just standing still. And oh my <laughs> God, for, for a 25 year old, that is a very humbling experience. But I think it was a very valuable experience because I didn't give the marathon enough respect. Even, even as someone who, you know, I was going into the marathon as someone who, you know, I ran under 74 minutes in the half marathon. So 
I thought that I could run a decently competitive time in the marathon, but I didn't realize how hard 26.2 miles really is. And it is just so much different than other races. It's unlike the ultra marathon distances because they're short enough to actually run really fast, but they're so much different from any of the shorter distances that you actually have to think about fueling because if you don't fuel enough, if you go out too fast, you're going to run out of any fuel that you have stored in your body. And you are going to have the same experience that I did at New York. You're going to slow down. It's going to be a feeling unlike anything else that you have experienced in a 5k, a 10k, or even a half marathon. And I didn't recognize that I didn't respect it. And it was a very challenging race for me. Mm. The final five miles or so were, were it just a death march of me just trying to get to the finish line and slow down as little as possible. But it, like I said, it was a great learning experience. And so I think a lot of um, my success in my my later marathon where I, I didn't hit the wall, I finally achieved the goal that I had been kind of going after for a really long time was because of that first really poor marathon. So sometimes, you know, you do have to have a bad race to learn from it and come back even stronger. Yeah, 100%. I think that kind of sentiment is echoed from a lot of running coaches and, and just runners in general who have done their first marathon and, and potentially it was something they didn't train a lot for, they didn't give enough time or potentially they just went out too quick or whatever it may be and they and they have that kind of similar experience of it not going so well, um, but it gives them, yeah, it gives them something to work from, right, and something to learn from. And I just love that idea of being, of respecting that distance, respecting the marathon. I think for myself, you know, I could go and run a half marathon today and, and do it pretty fine. You know, it'd be pretty tough, but it'd be okay. But it's the idea of running a full marathon, you know, at 42.2 kilometers. That's a distance that seems astronomically large to most people and to myself and so it's going i think for ourselves it's going in there with the mindset of yeah knowing that this is a very very tough thing to do and giving yourself i guess a lot of leeway and grace to be able to just get over that finish line as the number one goal as opposed to i think one of the common mistakes i i think a lot of people make is um trying to set themselves some kind of time goal for their first marathon especially for you know recreational runners like us where the time doesn't matter. The, what matters is, is achieving the goal, and the goal is big enough already, which is just getting over that, that finish line. Yeah, I do think that you, you do have to be kind to yourself with your first marathon, and, and that may mean not having a time goal it may mean having tiers of goals so that, you know, maybe you do have a time goal, but it's not super aggressive. It makes sense based on what you've run in other distances, whether the 10K or the half marathon. But having those tiers of goals can be really helpful so that, you know, you don't do what I did and was basically like, well, if I don't hit this one very aggressive time-based goal, then my race is going to be deemed a failure. But instead you have these tiers where, okay, I wasn't able to accomplish my tier one goal, but that doesn't mean that I had a poor race because I did accomplish tier two and tier three. Mm. So it's a helpful way of thinking about your goals. And it's just a way to be kinder to yourself so that you're not placing a lot of undue pressure on yourself that you don't really have to. Yeah. And what would you think the, I guess, from coaching, you know, a lot of people throughout your career now, what do you think the, the, the draw card is for people that are wanting to run a marathon? Like, what is this, um, what is it about a marathon or even a half marathon or, or a 10 kilometer, you know, something that is a stretching goal for that individual? 
what is it about that that draws people in and, and makes them set that goal in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's probably going to be different for every runner. Some people are running because they just want to be healthier. They want to lose weight. Maybe they do have a time goal. But I think more generally, I think broadly, people just are looking to do things that make them feel alive. Mm. Everyone can sit there and binge on Netflix. Anyone can basically go on their phone and get endless entertainment or order something online that'll be at their door in two or three days. People don't want convenience. People want to feel alive. And I think running is an amazing venue for exactly that. Helping you just celebrate life. Go do something really hard. Maybe it's run a marathon. Maybe it's run a fast half marathon. Whatever it is, even your first 5K is just such an electrifying experience that I think is just so exciting for people, especially when they're first starting, that you know that is going to just brighten up their day, brighten up their week. My God, if you run a marathon, you're going to be on cloud nine for a month afterward. You know, once you recover, (laughs) you're going to be a little tired and you're going to want a lot of food and sleep. But after that, you are just going to bask in the glow of your accomplishment. And I think that is why so many people are getting into running right now. Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's it's a great thing to do. And I think, you know, because it's so easily accessible by people as well, you know, you don't need a gym membership. You don't need all the fancy equipment. You can literally just pop some shoes on and you're out the door and you're running. So I think that's, you know, that is a really, a really cool thing. I I mean, I guess for myself, you know, I do have a running background because I was in the military for a number of years and we did a lot of running Um, and it was just the nature of what we did. But I think what I've been learning over the course of this program that we've been doing for this marathon is that running is, is a whole nother world when we're looking at, um, I guess, long distance running and the strategy that goes into, I guess, programming and your cadence and your, your pace and all these different things that come into it, as opposed to what I used to do in the past, which was just, you know, they go, Hey, we're running 10 kilometers go and you run as fast as you can until that 10 kilometers is done and then you collapse and you're like cool i did it you know that was the the whole goal was just like run to the end get it done and then you're finished for the day you know so running now for me is is taking on this whole other other um yeah this other aspect of learning the intricacies of running but from your own experience jason i'd love to ask what you think the the biggest misconceptions are for beginners when they start working towards a endurance running event i would say that i think the first big misconception or mistake or kind of you know, a problem that beginners might run into when they start targeting some of these longer races, uh, the half marathon and definitely the marathon Mm. is simply not giving yourself enough time to prepare for the event. And so, you know, I've gotten emails from runners all over the place who are like, you know, I've been running for a couple months. My long run right now is 15 kilometers and I'd really like to run this marathon that's coming up in seven weeks. Yeah. And I have to tell them, you're simply not ready. You are just not ready to embark upon this huge journey of running 42.2 kilometers in seven weeks. Mm. You've just started running. You haven't built up the mileage. Your long run is just not where it needs to be to give you the not only the confidence that you can actually finish the distance, but also just the physiological and physical tools to be able to do so. And so I think the biggest misconception is rushing the training mm. and thinking that you can get ready fairly quickly because 
you can't. It really does take the body a couple weeks to adjust to any one training stimulus. Mm. And so I think working backwards from whatever race that you might be training for is probably one of the more productive ways of thinking about things. So look at a calendar and see how many weeks do you have until your race. And then if it's something like a marathon, one of the big determinants of your success is your ability to do your long runs. So that weekly run, that's a lot longer than any other single run. And generally speaking, you want to build that long run up to about 32 kilometers. Different coaches will have different numbers, 30, 34, somewhere in that range. And that's going to give you the adaptations you need to run the marathon. Mm. And so if you can't safely build your long run up to that distance, with the time that you have available, then you don't have the time available to Mm. train for a marathon. And so think in terms of how much time you have, how much time you need to safely build that long run. And and I do think one of the other big mistakes here is runners thinking that they can just increase the distance of their long run every week from the beginning of their plan to the end of their plan. So, you know, they're like, oh, I'm running, you know, 16 kilometers for you know, my long run next week, I'll do 18. The week after that, I'll do 20 K. And then from there, you know, things start to unravel because it takes the body weeks to really adapt to the stress of those longer runs. Mm. And you really just have to give the body more time. So I like to have runners increase the distance of their long run, maybe every two weeks. And then every six or eight weeks, you take a down week where the whole volume and mileage of your week, including your long run is less than the week before. Mm. And so it's a nice way of just giving your body a break and also just giving your mind a break. I think it's really important to take a psychological break from training so hard and always trying to run more, run longer, run faster, run more frequently. Mm. And that, that can be a really helpful way to make marathon training a little bit more doable. Yeah. But because we always want to respect the distance, because it is a very difficult distance, we have to give ourselves enough time to train properly for it. Yeah, I love that. Is is the the time, having enough time, Jason, is that purely for allowing enough time for aerobic adaptations or is it more so allowing enough time for just the physiological sort of structural adaptations of being able to consistently overload the tissues with longer distances is that just you know giving you enough time so that yeah i guess you prevent injury yeah that's a great question i think ultimately it's both Mm. but if i had to choose it's probably more important to give your structural fitness so you know the strength of your muscles and tendons and ligaments and bones and you know everything that's in your joints that actually takes more time to adapt to training stress than say your muscles. Mm. And so all those connective tissues, your bones, they take more time to adapt to let's say a 20 kilometer long run than your aerobic system, your endurance, your cardiovascular fitness. And so what ends up happening is that, you know, we go back to our example of that runner who's running 2k more every single week. That runner is going to aerobically be okay. Mm. They're going to be able to run 18 and then 20 and then 22 kilometers and then 24 kilometers. But then what happens? They almost always get hurt. And so that's not a deficiency of the aerobic system. What that is, is really a deficiency of your structural system. You've experienced a soft tissue injury. Maybe it's a muscle strain. Maybe it's a strain 
you know, some sort of tendonitis in the joint or something like that. And that is because the ability for your joints and your tendons and all those connective tissues to play catch up just takes a longer period of time. Mm. And so, yeah, you kind of have to couple, and now we're, we're kind of going off track here, but I always think it's, it's really helpful to couple your running with strength training so that you're giving all those connective tissues an additional stimulus to adapt, to get yeah. stronger, to get more durable and, and tougher so that they can handle all the running. Because if you can handle the running, then you can actually run a lot and you can ramp up your running much more quickly. But the real question is, well, how much can you handle? How much of, of a rate of increase can you handle as well? And so as a beginner, even as an intermediate, it's much more beneficial to be a little bit more gradual, be a little bit more patient with your increases in mileage and the distance of your long run while you're doing a fair amount of strength training to get stronger. Mm. And, and what are some of those common injuries you do see with, with clients if, well, you might not see them because, you know, you're programming well for them, but, you know, you see with, with other people in the running community that will start, you know, this kind of event and uh, maybe they are increasing their mileage too quickly. Um, what are some of those common injuries you do see? I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of, you know, things like shin splints, hamstring strains, things like this. Yeah, all the classic overuse injuries. So when we're talking about running injuries, we're technically talking about repetitive stress injuries. So this is not the injury that you would get as, you know, a, a football player with someone slide tackling you and, you know, getting a, a fracture in your shin. Uh, this is not something that, you know, you might get an injury in baseball. It's not an acute injury. Mm. This is an injury where you're getting it because you're doing the same motion over and over and over again. So you'll see a lot of Achilles tendinopathy. You'll see a lot of plantar fasciitis, which is in the bottom of your foot. It's kind of a, a problem with the tendon on the bottom of your foot. You'll also see IT band syndrome, which usually presents with a fair amount of pain on the outside of your knee with, where that IT band connects mm. from your hip. Uh, and then from there, you know, there's your shin splints, your mild muscle strains. Those are probably the most popular running injuries. Mm. And they're all repetitive stress injuries. Even the more serious injuries like a stress fracture or a stress reaction is basically your body's response to ongoing repeated stress without enough recovery. And so that can I mean, frankly, it can fracture your bones or it could give you a slight strain in the muscle. Mm. So that's why we're doing a lot of strength training and we want to be gradual with the mileage increases. Yeah. So going off on that just a little bit more, the I guess the key component of avoiding those injuries is, yeah, the gradual increases in distances. Um, and then like you mentioned, the strength training component. Is there any anything else in regards to, I guess, recovery or stretching modalities um, or specific strength exercises that you think are essential for beginners to avoid any of these common overuse injuries? Well, I think the most important thing to stay healthy as a runner. So if you were essentially what we're doing now is we're listing or ranking injury prevention strategies. Yeah. So the number one strategy to stay healthy, whether you're a beginner or you're a professional runner, whether you have a day of experience or 10 years of experience is to make sure your training is structured properly. Because if you are running workouts that are not appropriate for your fitness level, for the race that you're training for, for the time in the season that you're in, and 
if the density of your training is too high. So in other words, you know, you're doing a long run and some faster workouts and you're clustering them too close together without enough recovery, you know, that, that is a training structure problem and no amount of stretching or ice baths or, you know, uh, compression gear or whatever your recovery, you know, strategy of the day is none of that will help you if your training is in, improperly structured to begin with. And so that's number one number. The number two most important injury prevention strategy there is, is strength training. Mm-hmm. So once you've gotten your training structured, well, you're not making silly mistakes with your training. The next thing to do is to add in strength training. That is going to kind of be the, the, the yin to running's yang. It's the other side of the coin. It's the anabolic stressor in your training that's going to help you uh, hormonally. It's going to help from a muscle strength and power perspective. And it's really going to make all of your connective tissues and joints a lot more durable. Mm. And so I I think those are the big two. That's 90% of the work right there. Mm. Get your training structured right and then add in some strength training so that you're not you know, you're, you're not kind of just running yourself into the ground. You're giving yourself a little bit more durability and, uh, just ability to handle all of the stress of running because running is quite stressful. Yeah. hundred percent. And, you know, on your podcast, you had Tony Gentlecore on who I really love his, his perspective on, you know, strength training and, and sort of focusing on those fundamentals and foundations. Um, when you're looking at strength training for runners, it, I think probably the common, I guess my viewpoint, you know, I've, I've got more of a background in sort of hypertrophy and strength training, um, you know, in the weight room, a lot of barbell work and dumbbell work and whatnot. But I guess from my perspective, I've seen a lot of, I guess, running programs just using like body weight strength movements or, or you know, calisthenics or whatever it may be. Is there a specific way to train for strength or for running strength, I should say, that you use with your with your clients that you would um, you recommend to the listeners? Yeah, so I think it might be helpful to talk about what I think is ideal strength training. Yeah. So something like, you know, if we had to structure the perfect strength programming into a runner's schedule, what might that look like? And so what I might consider ideal strength training is let's just say there's a runner who runs five days a week. And so the two days that they're not running, those are just going to be rest days. You're not going to do anything else on those days. Maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you go for an easy bike ride. You're staying active, but you're not doing any formal exercise. Now, from a strength training perspective, ideally, I would have a runner get into the weight room twice a week to actually do some real weightlifting. Mm. This is where we're going to be using barbells and dumbbells. We're going to be lifting relatively heavy weight. And our goals in the weight room are injury prevention, strength, and power. Now, I didn't mention endurance, which catches a lot of runners off guard because a lot of runners will get in the weight room and they'll do like four sets of 20 repetitions with a relatively low weight because the thinking goes, well, I'm an endurance runner. So I'm going to get into the weight room and train for endurance, right? And admittedly, that's how I used to think about strength training. And it couldn't be farther from how runners should actually spend their time in the weight room because our goals are not endurance. We get enough of that stimulus when we're out there running. We're doing all our workouts. We're doing our long runs. We're running most days of the week. Our body is primed to gain endurance from all that running. But in the weight room, 
We're not there for endurance. We're there for strength. We're there for power. We're there to actually improve our ability to lift heavy things. That is the very definition of strength, the ability to lift heavier and heavier objects. And so that's what we have to do as runners, because number one, it's going to give us one of the best injury prevention stimuluses that we could ask for in our training. It's just going to make you stronger and much better able to handle all of that repetitive stress that you get from the impact of running. The other thing that we're doing is we're actually trying to develop some power. So, you know, anytime you've seen a race and you see the faster runners at the beginning of the race and they're flying into the home home finish line, they're exerting a tremendous amount of power. You need aerobic fitness to unlock that power because if you just don't have the the lungs and the heart to to be able to do it, you're not going to be able to do it. But at the same time, you also be able you also need to be able to recruit a lot of muscle fibers. And that's what we're doing in the weight room. We're deadlifting, we're squatting, we're picking up heavy weight, and we're recruiting a lot of muscle fibers to do that. Mm. And that higher level neuromuscular fitness, that type of brain muscle communication really does come in handy in the later stages of a race when you're very fatigued and you're trying to run fast and maybe you're trying to kick at the end of the race to the finish line, that's when you need to recruit those muscle fibers and kick in strong to the finish line. So lots of different goals for runners in the weight room, but it's certainly not endurance. And the weightlifting that we do in the gym is going to accomplish those goals. Now, the other three days of the week that this hypothetical runner is running, we're not going to be in the gym lifting weight. I mean, we're not weightlifters. We are runners. And so on the other days, we're still going to be doing some strength training, but it's going to be body weight. Maybe you're using a band or a, a fairly light medicine ball, something like that to give yourself a little bit of extra resistance. But after each run, I love to see runners do 10 to 20 minutes of body weight, strength or core work. And the goal here is largely injury prevention. So a lot of the exercises and routines that I promote on strength running, and I have so many free ones that people can just search the blog for, but these exercises are largely taken from the world of physical therapy. So if any runner has ever been hurt, they go see the physio and they get a certain exercise selection. A lot of these exercises are used in our routines to help you stay healthy. So they're great at helping you recover from an injury, but they're equally as effective at as prehab, at helping you stay healthy when you're already healthy. And so I have this fun little uh, model that helps runners understand this, and I call it the, the sandwiching method. All you're going to do is you're going to sandwich your run in between a dynamic warm-up before the run and then 10 to 20 minutes of runner-specific strength training or core work after the run. And we haven't really talked about the warm-up. Maybe we get into that later, but that does include some light strength training, but the real work comes after the run where you're going to be doing some body weight work. And so by combining these two types of strength training, the easier body weight strength training after most of your runs with two dedicated weightlifting days in the week, we are accomplishing all the goals of lifting for runners or strength training for runners. We're improving our economy through heavy weightlifting in the gym. We're becoming more powerful through that heavy weightlifting and maybe even some power or explosive exercises like plyometrics, like Olympic lifts. And then we're also getting a very strong dose of injury prevention work in our training as well by 
doing all the body weight stuff that we might do in a physical therapist office, and also just building more durable joints and connective tissues and muscles as well. Mm, no, I love it. It's it's looking at your whole training paradigm as more of a holistic a holistic overview of you know of fitness, right? It's building strength in in the tissues and in the in the joints that you need for whatever specific sport you're going to be playing um, or or participating in, but it's also building you know the actual specific skill you need for that sporting outcome with, with for example for endurance running it's that aerobic endurance right so i think yeah i think it's having that more holistic viewpoint and i think that's really refreshing for people to hear that you know running is not just running it's incorporating the the strength component as well and actually doing you know proper strength training that's going to um, build strength build some muscle mass and prevent injury as well i'd love to ask you jason around the structure of training often you'll see in training programs um, for running, you'll have the, you know, the the weekly long run. You'll have some midweek easy runs, um, but there might be some you know interval based running in there as well, or some hill running and things like this. When it comes to again, it's like looking at that whole. Hey, I'm going to do a you know forty kilometer run. I'm an endurance runner. Why should I be doing uh, intervals on a track, or why should I be doing hill sprints or any of these other things? Why shouldn't I just be focusing on those long runs to actually build my endurance. Um, where do you see those types of runs coming into a training program and what benefit do they play? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, ultimately running is a multifaceted endeavor. And if you want to be a fast runner, then you don't need just endurance. You also need speed. I mean, we're talking about running fast, aren't we? <laughs> so you do need speed. We talked about power. That is a physical skill that we need as well. So we need power. We need speed. We need uh, endurance, obviously. And, you know, I'm a coach who's often telling his runners to not even call yourself a runner. Let's instead call yourself an athlete that specializes in running. And that is a helpful frame. It's just a, a different way of thinking about running. It's a new perspective that helps runners recognize the fact that they have to do other things than just run. And even within their running, they can't just run the same distance at the same pace every day. They have to mix it up. They have to do slow, easy runs for recovery and also just for general endurance building. They have to do some longer runs at a more you know, still an easy effort, but not a recovery effort. That's going to build higher end endurance. It's going to improve their running economy. And somewhat at the extremes, it's going to help them get faster because as their slow twitch muscle fibers get fatigued, they're going to start recruiting more of your fast twitch muscle fibers, which is a nice little adaptation that can happen at the end of some of your long runs. But then of course, there's all the there's all the great workouts that we can do as runners. There's uh, strides or hill sprints, which improve your top end speed, which help improve your running economy, which just help with turnover and making fast running feel easier. So there's a certain amount of coordination that's built in some of those very fast sessions. And then there's hill workouts. Hill workouts are wonderful because, you know, not only are they going to help get you uh, faster, they're going to help get you stronger. So hill running is, is similar to weightlifting in some ways in that by running against gravity, you are building more strength and you're doing it in a way that is less stressful on the body than running the same effort on flat ground. So there's less pounding, there's less impact. You're building some of that strength. You're building more power by running up hills. 
And then of course you get on the track and you can do some real fast interval work. And that's working on your VO2 max. It's working on your body's ability to deliver oxygen to your hardworking muscles while you're already in a very stressful state. And if you have, you know, any real running goals, even if it's just the marathon, even if you've just started running, you just want to finish a marathon, doing interval work is going to make you into a better runner and better runners typically have more of a fun time in a race than runners who aren't as good because it's not as stressful. Mm. They have more fun. They can, you know, wave to the crowd and look around. They can run a faster time. And so part of training to be a runner is to do the normal training that runners do. And so, you know, it's almost like talking to a basketball player and say, well, why should you ever have to practice a free throw? Well, they're going to come in handy at some point. <laughs> right. And it's also just going to improve you as a player more broadly. And so that's why we do we do the speed work. It's going to make you faster. It's going to improve your economy. And I do think the variety of paces that you have in any training program is a valuable way to prevent injuries. Because, you know, like we talked about, injuries are repetitive stress injuries. So anything we can do to reduce the repetitive nature of running is by definition going to reduce your injury risk. So as long as those workouts are appropriate for you, as long as you're not running too fast, then that change in pace is going to, going to impact your mechanics. It's going to improve your mobility and your strength and your power and your speed. So lots of things to like about interval work. And I would encourage any runner, even if they're just a beginner, to start doing some type of faster workout every week, even if it's relatively short and it's relatively slow. It doesn't matter. Just get started and you can build from there. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I also, I love the idea of, you know, spending a fair amount of your time training, training to a point where you can actually enjoy the event, right? I think that's a very big one for me is, is, you know, like you were saying, being able to, um, you know, get to a certain level of, I guess, fitness so that when you're doing, you know, even though a marathon is going to be tough either way, but when you're doing a marathon or, or you're playing a, a, a a game or whatever it may be, you know, your training is being sufficient enough so that you can go and do that event with some level of enjoyment. You're not just struggling the whole way through and, and suffering. You're actually, like you're saying, able to, you know, wave to people and smile and have a good time as you're going through this event. Um, so I just really love that, that mindset. And then when you mentioned, um, you know, having variance in your, in your pace, your running pace, I guess this is one that I, when I first started to look into running programming a little bit more for these longer distance events, I didn't really factor in the idea of running pace or running cadence. And I guess the idea of, you know, especially for a beginner, when you're running something such a long distance as a marathon, you actually have to run really slow, <laughs> you know? Um, and this was, this was news to me. I thought, you know, we just want to try and run that as fast as you can, but what are your thoughts now as a running coach on, running cadence and how fast someone should actually be running on majority of their runs given that i guess their interval runs and track runs and things like this are probably going to be a lot faster um and like you were saying having that variance in running pace and running cadence is probably a good thing for injury prevention but when we're looking at the majority of someone's training program what kind of pace should they be setting or what kind of cadence should they be running at for i guess the most um, efficiency and and of course the reductions and in, in injury risk as well yeah. So in terms of pacing, you know, I, I think a lot of runners are surprised that most of their training should be at a pretty easy effort. And so 
you know, a co- common figures that are thrown around is about 80 to 90% of your weekly mileage should be at an easy effort. And so that's a lot of your mileage, obviously. Mm, yeah. And so that, that takes a lot of runners by surprise because, you know, they kind of think to themselves, well, I want to be a fast runner. Why don't I train to actually be a fast runner? Well, a lot of how you get faster, a lot of the reason why someone is fast is their ability to tolerate a high amount of work. And so as runners, that's mileage. Part of it is speed. So part of it is like the workouts that you can do. Uh, Part of it is, you know, the overall difficulty or intensity of your mileage. But a big part of it is simply your mileage. So if someone is struggling to run, you know, let's just say 50 kilometers in a week, well, they're going to have a really hard time running a marathon because they're trying to run in one day what someone, you know, has been running all week. Uh, just a little bit more. And so the runner who who's running 100 kilometers a week or 150 kilometers a week, they're going to be much more capable. They have just through the sheer act of r- running easy mileage more and more and more of it, they're going to be, be more competent at the distance because they're just simply more trained for it. Um, so 80 to 90% of your weekly mileage should be at an easy effort. And then, you know, 10 to 20%, depending on your ability, I do tend to be a little bit more conservative with newer runners should be, you know, whatever the workout is for that week. And I do think for beginners, one faster workout a week is sufficient. So that's probably, you know, combined with a long run, that's probably enough stress for a new runner that uh, they're going to improve fairly rapidly on a schedule like that. Mm. So you have most of your runs at an easy effort. You have your workout during the week. Uh, you also should kind of have some variation between what I call easy. So 80 to 90% of your mileage is easy, but maybe once or twice per week, you're running at a recovery effort and recovery pace is basically a very, very easy pace. So your long run might be an easy pace, but the day before your long run, maybe you did a workout faster session the day before, you know, maybe that day is a recovery effort. Because it's the day after your workout, it's the day before your long run. So you really want to make sure that you're properly recovered from that workout and you're ready for the long run. So that run is going to be probably slower than the long run. And so this is another thing that kind of trips up a lot of runners is that they, they run their long run at the slowest pace that they run all week. And the long run is not a recovery run no matter how slow you do it, just by its very nature, it is a long run. You can't turn a, you know, a 30 kilometer run into a recovery run just by running it really slow. You're still going to be on your feet for a very long time and you're surely not going to feel very recovered afterward. So besides the, the workout, besides some variation with your easy pace, I really think the other way of adding a lot of pace variety into your training is by doing either hill sprints or strides. You can do that two or three days per week. And these are, well, strides are accelerations. So they're about a hundred meters. You get up to about 95, 98% of your maximum speed. You only hold that for about two seconds and then you coast to a stop. These are a staple in high school and university track and cross country programs. If you ever go to uh, professional track meet, you'll probably see every runner doing strides before their race. Okay. If you can catch a glimpse of their warm up, right? And that's because they're really great at helping you warm up for a hard effort. They're really great at, 
you know, improving turnover and foot speed and improving your mechanics and your running economy. And it, they're better thought of as a drill than really a type of workout or anything like that. So you would do these after an easy run, you know, maybe after that, you know, recovery run where you're getting ready for the long run the next day, you might do four strides. And yes, they are fast, but as soon as they start to feel fast, you're slowing down, you're coasting to a stop. So they really shouldn't be thought of as difficult or mm. thought of as a workout. And so that is, I think, the, the biggest ways in which a runner can get more pace variety into their training. Let's have a, you know, an easy long run. Let's have some recovery runs. Let's have a faster workout where maybe we're running a variety of paces there, you know, maybe 5k pace, 10k pace, you know, your threshold pace, things like that. And then we can run strides during the week. I think those are some of the most impactful ways to ensure that the structure of your training is including pace variety to help you stay healthy and also to help you improve too. I guess for a new runner who hasn't had the experience of tracking a lot of runs and knowing their, you know, 5k, 10k pace and things like this, how would one actually figure out what is my easy pace and then what should I be running my say temper runs pace at? Like how would they figure those kind of things out? Yeah. Great question. Let's start with the easiest one, which is your easy pace. Now, easy pace might be a little bit difficult to determine if you started running yesterday, because most of your runs are probably not going to feel easy no matter how slow you go. So generally speaking, an easy run isn't done by a particular pace. It's really done by effort. So it's supposed to be easy, Mm. whatever that is for you, whatever pace that that might be for you individually, that's your easy effort pace. And so I like to tell runners, let's make sure your easy pace is comfortable. So you should just feel comfortable. You're not pushing, you're, you're not like in a workout situation where you're worried about hitting certain splits or anything like that. You just feel comfortable out there. You should also feel controlled. So sometimes in a race, sometimes in a workout, you might feel out of control. Like, let me just get one more lap and you're just flailing to get to the finish. None of that during easy pace. You just want to feel totally in control the entire time. And lastly, let's make the run conversational. So if we're running together, you should be able to talk to your friend, tell them a funny story, you know, be able to have a conversation and say mostly full sentences. If you can abide by those three C's of easy running, comfortable, controlled, and conversational, then you're probably running an easy, easy pace. And the more experience you have as a runner, the easier it's going to be to dial in that easy effort. Now, the other paces, actually, some of them are pretty easy to determine too. Your 5K pace is your 5K race pace. If you've never raced a 5K, I think you should go race a 5K and actually get your 5K pace that way. You know, the 5K is a pretty approachable distance. It's fairly accessible. Uh, Hopefully, there's lots of races in New Zealand right now because you guys are kicking COVID's butt compared to the US and, and you guys don't have to, uh, cancel all your races like we do, but just go enter a 5k race, see how you're doing. And you know, whatever time that you get, that's your 5k pace. And the same thing for 10k pace, half marathon pace, but you might want to wait for those paces because they, those are more demanding races. Now tempo or threshold or lactate threshold, that's a little bit more of a difficult pace to determine for new runners because 
it's best determined for runners who have some training underneath them. So a lot of coaches will describe tempo pace as, you know, your one hour race pace. Well, if you're a new runner, running for an hour might be impossible yet. Never mind racing for a full hour. So that's very different and it's very difficult to determine. Now, if you do have a couple race performances, you could use that to determine your tempo pace. And you might want to talk to either a coach or a more experienced runner to help you do that. They'll probably want to look at some pacing tables and just kind of see where it should be. But, you know, if you're a runner who races a 10K in about an hour, then your tempo pace is about your 10K race pace. It's about the same. A lot of coaches will describe it as comfortably hard, or it's if you're into heart rate, it's about 85 to 90% of your maximum heart rate. Now, for that to actually mean anything, number one, you need to be somewhat highly trained mm. because your heart rate is going to be all over the place if you're a new runner. And the other thing too is you actually have to know what your maximum heart rate is. You can't use the old 220 minus your age. That formula is just not very accurate at all. There's too much individual variability. And a lot of runners will just find that it's completely out of touch with the reality of their heart rate ranges. Right. So the best way to get your maximum heart rate is to wear a heart rate monitor during a grueling workout or in a race where you are running as hard as you can. And in those situations where you're pushing yourself to the max, your maximum heart rate reading is likely going to be your max heart rate. So that's a better method of getting your max heart rate if you're going to use that approach. Right. And so th th those are some good ways mm. of determining your pacing. It's admittedly a little bit tough for new runners, but it gets easier and easier as they develop experience, as they race more, and as they just start to understand themselves better as runners. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think for, especially for the guys that I'm working with at the moment for sort of, you know, us beginners working towards this event, I, I keep mentioning, hey, look, don't don't allow those runs to get too quick. You know, it's I think it's very common for a lot of us who have only ever experienced running in, in the case of doing it in a circuit or doing it in a CrossFit session or just doing it for recreational activity and you just go out the gate and try to hit it really fast. But I'm trying to reiterate, hey, look, we want this to be a conversational pace. Like, can we have a conversation while we're running? And I think that's a really good metric to use for for knowing if it's easy or not, is can I actually talk to somebody? Um, and now, Jason, before we kind of move on and just have a quick chat about actual race day strategies, um, I did want to ask your viewpoint on actual race cadence as well, or I should say, I guess, um, step cadence and how, how fast somebody's, uh, legs should actually be moving when they are running. Um, cause I think that one is, is quite commonly talked about in running circles. Um, you know, should it be a certain, uh, beat or steps per, per minute sort of cadence, depending on what kind of run it is and how can we, look at actually measuring that as well while we're running to get us in the best place for being the most efficient runner? Yeah, another good question. Uh, let me first let you in on a secret. Hit me. Very few pro or university level runners worry about their cadence. So I would encourage runners not to go down the rabbit hole of freaking out about their cadence. Now your cadence is your step rate or the number of steps that you take in a minute. And I think a lot of runners have been focusing on this metric. And I do think it's a very good metric for understanding how you run. And so 
uh, forgive me, I'm going to have to use some imperial <laughs> system numbers yeah, yeah, instead of your metric numbers. But you know, if you're a runner who's running under 10 minutes per mile, then I think your cadence should be over 170 steps per minute. Now that's for your easy effort. But if you're a runner who's running slower than 10 minutes a mile for your easy paced running, then let's instead be over 160 steps per minute. So it's sort of this range between 160 and up that is partly dependent upon your speed. So the faster you run, the faster your cadence is going to be. So if you measure your cadence during an easy run, which is really the only place we should be measuring our cadence, uh, I would love to see your cadence in those ranges. Somewhere between 170 and 180 if you're running faster than 10 minutes per mile, and at least over 160 if you're running slower than 10 minutes per mile. But if you were to measure your cadence when you're running 5K pace, it's probably going to be over 200 steps a minute. If you run a stride and you're running close to your maximum speed, you know, your cadence might be 220, 230 steps per minute. And so, you know, runners... It's very difficult for runners to then go change their cadence. So if they find out, okay, my cadence is 158 steps a minute, and I usually run at 930 mile pace, you know, coach Jason said I should probably be at around 170. How do I do that? Well, the number one way to improve your cadence is not to actually try to run with a quicker cadence, because what inevitably happens is that you end up running faster. So you still want to run in your easy effort but with a quicker cadence. The best way to do that is, again, we're coming back to the training, right? For injury prevention, training is the number one thing. The best way to improve your cadence is through training. It's through faster workouts. It's through strides. It's through heavy weightlifting. It's through form drills. It's through plyometrics. It's through trail running. It's through all those different things that we can do as runners that make us stronger, that make us uh, more athletic, more coordinated, that improve our mobility. All of those elements of fitness are going to get our cadence to where it should be. Because if you get a runner, if you find a runner who's doing all those things, who's training well, who's being intentional about their workouts, about their strength training, they're doing strides, you know, they're running races and they're running really fast. You know, they're trying to kick in and, and run strong at the end of a race I would bet you it's almost impossible to find a runner whose cadence is way too slow. So it's typically a problem among new runners who's, who just don't have the experience and runners who aren't training properly mm. because after all, they're not training properly. So they're seeing negative outcomes with their running. So, you know, on the one hand, it's not something that most runners should really be too worried about. But on the other hand, you know, it is an important metric for your injury risk. So if your cadence is very, very low, you're just taking these slow bounding strides that are less efficient and that are going to increase your injury risk. Mm. So it could be something that's worth looking into. So next time you're out there for an easy run, just count how many times your feet hit the ground within a minute. That's your cadence. And you maybe want to, can play with it a little bit, and, and I think the best way to do that is to get on a treadmill. So you can set the treadmill to be at a constant pace. And then from there, you can play with your cadence a little bit, speed it up, slow it down, kind of 
get a good feel for it so that if you do want to increase it by a couple steps per minute, then you now you have an environment in which to do it where you're not going to run too fast. You're actually going to keep the pace constant. Hmm. So it's a fun metric. I think it's a valuable metric, but I also don't think it's something that runners, uh, you know, should be laboring over too much on a weekly basis. No, that's cool. That's great. Something that just popped up for me, Jason, is the is the question of of I guess for a new runner who is following a program. The difference between, uh, I guess, them knowing if they're doing too much or whether they're actually just feeling the effects of a rigorous training program working towards a marathon. Um, How would a a runner kind of assess their own recovery to know, hey, look, maybe I should actually be skipping this interval session today and I'll just do my long run this week? Um, You know, how would they know if the fatigue they are feeling is just as a result of the program or they're actually at a point where they need to pull back and this is actually too too much for them um, in their current fitness state? Oh, this is the million dollar question. <laughs> this is the question that everyone wants to be able to answer. So with the caveat that I don't actually know, this is the, this is the question that, you know, every coach, every runner is going to struggle with. You know, I think number one, it really helps to have more running experience because this is a trial and error kind of a situation. Uh, you know, I think one of the reasons why the injury rate among runners is so high is because we don't listen to our bodies. We keep pushing when we shouldn't. We think we can run more and run faster than we really can. And so in a way, runners are just wonderful at deluding themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we always think we can do better. We can do more. We can go faster. Right. And, and that's one reason why we love pushing ourselves. We love exploring the frontiers of what we are capable of. And that is by its nature a little bit risky, isn't it? Just by trying to see how hard you can go, how fast you can be, you know, occasionally you're going to run into that brick wall and hurt yourself. And, and, you know, like my kind of, uh, you know, my big IT band injury after my first marathon, that was a big learning experience for me. And that really helped me kind of revamp my training. And so I think injuries can do that for other runners. Uh, but ultimately it's a learning process and as runners are going through their training, I think it can be helpful just to look for a few warning signs. So, you know, if you wake up in the morning and your, your legs are so tight and sore that you're worried, you're not going to be able to go running. That's a big warning sign in my mind. You shouldn't feel fresh as a daisy every day that you get up out of bed. If you're hard training and you know, you're really trying to push the envelope with your running, But at the same time, you should be able to warm up and kind of ease into a run and complete the run without this fear that your body is going to break or you're not going to be able to finish the run. The other thing that you can look at is, uh, you know, number one, is my training structured well? Am I doing strength training? Mm. Because you can afford to push the envelope a little bit more and, you know, maybe go a little bit faster or, or do that workout even when you are a little bit sore or tired. If you know you're training well, if the structure is good, if you're doing all that strength training. So again, it all comes down to get your training squared away first, because that solves a lot of problems for runners. And, you know, the other thing too, I think it's helpful to know what you can run through and what you can't run through. So a lot of runners, you know, will ask me, can I run through this soreness? You know, I have this weird pain. Can I still do my run today? So if you are experiencing something, then it can be helpful to have 
kind of this three-part framework that I have. So if you go for a run and you're feeling some discomfort, maybe it's pain, maybe it's you know just a soreness or a niggle, if it gets worse as you run, that's a red flag. That means your running is causing whatever's bothering you to get worse. So that's a red flag. Mm. We should never run through anything that makes it, that gets worse as we run. The other thing to remember is we should never run through anything that makes us alter our form. So if you're out there running and something's bothering you, but you find out that, ooh, if I just run on the outside of my foot a little bit more, yeah. or, you know, if I, if I turn my knee in a little bit, then, you know, it doesn't hurt anymore. Well, what you're doing is effectively giving yourself a limp to compensate for the pain that you're experiencing. So it might feel good for that run, but now you're opening yourself up to a whole new collection of injuries that could happen because you're not running the way that your body is really designed to run. So don't try to compensate for any discomfort by changing your form. And the other thing is just the severity of the pain. So if it's sharp, if it's stabbing, if you know it's really an intense type of pain, then that's another red flag. Let's not run through anything like that. Now, of course, the opposite of all that is true. If whatever you're experiencing goes away as you run or gets you know, less severe as you run, well, that, that's an encouraging sign to me. If you don't have to change your form and if the pain is more like a dull ache or kind of just like a low-grade soreness, all those things are okay to run through generally. Maybe we dial back the intensity of a workout. Maybe we cut the volume of that workout, or maybe we just don't run as much for a longer run. You know, those are some fair compromises that we might have to make with our training, but I think something is better than nothing. So if you can go running, let's do an easy run in place of the workout, maybe just a short run in place of the long run. But if you don't have any of those red flags, I think we can still get out there for some easy running. Those are some fantastic tips there, Jason. And I think we've covered a lot of great stuff in this episode. I'm really grateful of that. I guess to finish this thing up, I'd love to ask what kind of race day tips you have for our listeners as they work towards that big meet day that they have, the half marathon, the marathon, whatever it may be. Is there specific strategies you use to... I guess, allow people to get across that line a little bit easier, whether it's just a mental strategy or they have some, there's some kind of um, little nutritional tip that you could give people, or is it a breathing strategy that they could use during their race? Um, what are some race day tips and tricks you can give to our listeners from someone who's obviously been through it many times themselves? Yeah, I think race day preparation and just being able to execute on race day is something that you learn over time. And I, and I do think that racing is a skill. It is very mm. hard to go race 5,000 meters, 10,000 meters, 42.2 kilometers as hard as you can and do that in a very productive, efficient way. That takes skill and that takes time to learn that skill. So I think one of the things that we can do to get good at racing to have more confidence on race day is to run more races, even if they are low pressure, short races like the 5k or 8k or 10k. You know, I honestly don't care what the distance is. The shorter the race, the more frequently you can run that type of race, the faster you recover from it. And the more you're going to learn about yourself because you're doing them more frequently. So, you know, kind of stepping back, 
one of the ways that someone has a better race day experience is if they've had more race day experiences. So for the beginner runners, don't be afraid of racing. Go enter all those five Ks. You know, you can run one every other week for a little while yeah. and just see how your body responds to maximal effort running. That's going to make you into a better racer. The other thing too, is I love getting runners to a point where they get to the starting line and they know there, there aren't going to be any surprises. Mm. They have practiced their fueling approach and training. They have done workouts that have specifically prepared them for the race. They've done the mileage and the long run that they know is going to give them the stamina endurance to finish the race. And so in a way, racing is simply a logical extension of training. And so if you've done the right training, again, we're always coming back to training, aren't we, Jackson? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) If we do the right training, then we are just going to be that much better on race day. Right. And so I always tell my runners, look, trust the training that you've done. Look back on that workout that you did four weeks ago. You just did you know, six weeks of high mileage running that you've never done before. And so I like to be a little bit of, you know, this master persuasive artist with my runners and, and really try to convince them that they are ready, that they are capable because not just because I'm a a cheerleader who doesn't know any better, they've done the work. Yeah. And so I'll always encourage runners to do the work, get a lot of experience. You're just going to get better and better at it Mm. because look, racing is stressful and, there, there's no breathing tip or, or some sort of mindset hack that's going to make racing easy. It's difficult for everyone, even the fastest runners in the world. The only way that they cope with that is by regularly exposing themselves to similar types of stress through hard workouts, through regular training, and through regular racing too. So make it a habit, race consistently, do the training that's going to get you prepared for whatever race you're training for. And you're just going to have a great day, great time on race day. Yeah. It all comes back to, you know, having the appropriate time scale before, you know, uh, signing up to this event, appropriate time, enough time to train. And of course, the most appropriate training program for you, for that individual and ensuring that you, you know, adhere to that long term. And that's going to make that race day that much more enjoyable for you. I have to ask though, Jason, what is the 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 idea of hitting the wall is that a bit of a running myth or is that something that is a reality and and what do you think that comes down to is it just lack of glycogen or is it you know a us just hitting the wall in terms of yeah um running low on glucose in the blood or is there something else that's going on there yeah hitting the wall or bonking is very much a real thing and it's typically what's going to happen in the marathon because the marathon is a race where you know, it, it, like I said earlier, it's it's short enough to be a fast event, but it's long enough that your body can't store enough fuel for all that running. So your body can store enough fuel for, you know, maybe about two hours or 20 miles worth of running. And if you are running, uh, you know, let, let's just use myself for an example. So I, I pretty much hit the wall at mile 20 at that New York city marathon, my first marathon. And that's because I didn't fuel well. I didn't carb load beforehand. I didn't have enough gel gels during the race. And I had this very classic cliche hit the wall experience where your body runs out of glycogen. And if you don't have the fuel to run fast, well, what happens? You just gradually start slowing down. And it's this, it's this very unsettling experience where you simply can't run faster. Even if I had stopped, you know, 
taken a breather and then tried to run 400 meters as hard as I could, it would have been really, really hard to do anything much faster. Mm. And I just didn't have the fuel in my body to power that running. And so that's what hitting the wall is. It's not having enough fuel. And so I would encourage anyone who's doing a marathon to, you know, top up their carb stores in the days leading up to the race, you know, maybe in the one to two days leading up to the marathon and then have a big carby breakfast before the race and then fuel intelligently during the race. Mm. And, and that's so that, you know, you're giving yourself more carbohydrate beforehand, really stocking up your blood, your muscles, uh, so that, you know, hopefully you can get a little bit further into the race before you start running out of fuel. And then the, the gels or whatever fuel you choose during the race can make up the difference and help you get to the finish line. And then from there, you know, you can go have your double cheeseburger and fries yeah. and a beer and, <laughs> and celebrate. I love it, man. Those are some great strategies. I'm, I'm definitely hanging out for that post marathon meal. It's going to be a really good time. Um, to finish up here, Jason, I'd love to ask what your current training looks like and, and, and what you're sort of getting into these days. Obviously, COVID is a bit of a restriction if you were going to plan on doing any events coming up, but what does your current training look like? Yeah, so I am training about five days of running, one day of cycling per week. Uh, I'm not training at the level that I once was. I used to be you know, running 85, 90 miles a week, and wow. you know that, that's when I was running my 239 marathon. And, wow. And, uh, it was a somewhat competitive runner at that time. Right. But, you know, I have three children right now. And so I don't really have the time to put in those mega hours of training, but I'm still training pretty well. You know, I'm, I'm running five days a week. I'm doing uh, a good bike ride once a week. I have a road bike and I absolutely love it. I think just because I get to go fast. Yeah. What can I say? I love awesome. speed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm still doing a lot of the, the other things around the training that runners should do like strides, like strength training, uh, a weekly workout and long run It's just dialed a little bit back for me. But I think I'm going to try to do a trail half marathon oh, this cool. fall yeah. here in Colorado, which I'm very excited about. And, uh, if that happens, I'm going to be signing up for some tune up races beforehand because, you know, racing is a skill, like I've said, and I need to practice that skill myself because it's been a little bit, of, a little bit of time. Yeah. And so I want to get to the starting line of the half, feeling a little bit more confident in myself and what I can do. And, you know, just not having that goal race be the first real race that I've run in more than a year. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's really important. So that's what I'm doing now. Cool. But, you know, honestly, I get more excited about my athletes running well and getting PRs than I do about my own running right now. So uh, I, I just sort of pour everything into my athletes at this stage. Um, but hey, man, thanks so much for coming on. I know the listeners absolutely love this one and, and use this stuff. If they're into their running, they'll use all of this information to not only, you know, make their training that much more enjoyable and, and uh, more of a successful uh, program but also ensure that their race day is, is the, the everything they wanted it to be in the first place when they signed up for it so I know that these tips are going to be super helpful for them man so I appreciate you coming on and giving your time and, and giving your knowledge man it's been super fun um, and uh, hey man I wish you all the best with the uh, with the trail half marathon coming up I'm sure it's going to be a great time and that's our show this week. You can find more information about marathon training, race fueling, how to taper the best ways to set up your long runs and more at strengthrunning.com. If you have any questions for me or want to discuss your training, don't hesitate to email me at support at strengthrunning.com. 
I'm so grateful for the support of our sponsors, particularly Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. Now, I personally struggle with eating all the healthy food I know I should be eating, so I find their product, AG1, really helpful when I'm training or just when my life is busy and I can't really prioritize a well-balanced diet. One scoop a day gives me 75 vitamins and minerals, lots of whole food sourced ingredients, including a green superfood blend, probiotics to help your gut and microbiome, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly, and it gives me a nice boost of energy and focused throughout the day. And with all three of my kids now back in school, I know I've got to support my immune system or else I'm probably getting sick from them, and then I have to sacrifice my running. I don't like that. But what I do love about AG1 is that it actually changes over time. Over the last decade, they've made 53 improvements to the formula based on the latest research. And that's going to make the nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with the third-party testing that they do. If you go to athleticgreens.com Jason, you'll see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment, or you can go for a monthly drop if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. Finally, another big thanks to our sponsor, Inside Tracker, for their support. Inside Tracker is one of the most reputable personal blood testing companies in the whole world. They were founded in 2009 by a collection of scientists, aging, genetics, and biometric scientists, all to help you analyze your body's data and get a firm idea of how well you're responding to training. Understanding your body's biomarkers from Stress hormones to testosterone to vitamin D can help you figure out if you're overtraining, undertraining, or optimally training, or also if you have a health issue that might be affecting your running. But the best part is they don't just tell you what could potentially be wrong with your biomarkers. They then give you personalized optimal ranges for each of those biomarkers so you know exactly where you're at, and then a whole host of ways to improve those markers through diet, lifestyle, or exercise changes. I have personally gotten three ultimate tests from them, and the process is simple, it's easy, I don't mind doing it at all, and it's very eye-opening, especially if you haven't done a deep dive like this yet on your biomarkers. I highly recommend it. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning, and you can see how you can get 25% off site-wide on any personal blood test that they offer. Of all the investments you can make in your running, this one is like getting a detailed checkup or regularly scheduled maintenance for your internal physiology. It's a wonderful opportunity, and you can see all the details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. That's our show this week, runners. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing and sharing this show. We'll be in touch soon. 